Hey everybody, welcome to Improv Town. I'm Clint Mashad, and this is the podcast where I interview my favorite improvisers from Rhode Island and afar about an improv topic I think they're great at. In today's episode, I interview Kaiza Coco. Uh, this is an interview I got to do while she was in Rhode Island teaching and performing at the Ocean State Improv Festival. Kaiza is an improviser, director, and communication skills instructor from Finland. She studied music, special education. She got her master's degree in education. She studied improv at I.O. Chicago, Unexpected Productions in Seattle, as well as under a bunch of other great teachers from all around the world. In addition to her home country of Finland, Kaiza has taught and performed improv all over Europe and the United States, as well as cool places like Costa Rica and Peru. And in this episode, we talk about teaching and touring internationally, doing improv in your second language, and her appreciation for silence in improv. And just a heads up, we recorded this episode outside on the back deck of the Contemporary Theater in Wakefield, right on the banks of the Sockatucket River. And we uh, were trying to capture the soundscape of Wakefield in June, and we managed to pick up some pretty sweet bird sounds, but there are a few times where we also picked up some wind. So there are two or three points where... Things get choppy for a few seconds, but it's pretty short-lived, so don't freak out because this is a great interview. Oh yeah, and we also get to talk about my uh, my improv crush, Susan Messing. So uh, stay tuned for that. As always, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Now on to the interview. So where were you before in New York? Uh, I came straight from home, from Finland. Oh, cool. I did. Now this is the starting point of my tour in England, oh, in, in the United States Yeah, for this summer. Where else are you going? Mm, I'm doing um, Chicago next week. So to teach or to uh, no? This is I'm only going to be there for four days, uh, and I'm going to see some friends. I'm going to meet up with some colleagues, and we're going to discuss about some future probable possible plans. Awesome. And then I'm going to Seattle for another festival, and then I'm going to Portland to teach, and then I'm going to Bellingham to teach, and then I'm going to Vancouver to teach, and then I'm going to Calgary to teach, <laughs> and then I'm going to yeah. It's going to be a nice tour. That's so awesome yeah, that it you're is. able to it's wonderful. do that professionally. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that. Alright, so uh, we'll start with some intro questions. So how did you start doing improv? What happened was I lived in I lived uh, in a small village in Finland. That's where I'm from. And we hosted this annual storytelling competition. But it was like, not whatever story, but it was about like old Finnish tales. And people would come and they would tell these stories. And one year, two guys came up, and the one one of them won the competition, and the second came the runner-up, and they were absolutely amazing, both of them. And I went to talk with them afterwards. And I was like, wow, wow, that was so cool. And they were like, yeah, well, uh, even though these stories were kind of known, but we're both improvisers. And I was like, ah. And I had already done uh, theater for like ten years, but I was like, an improvised theater, that's so cool. And I knew that I'm going to I, that I was going to move into that town where they lived or in that city and I was like oh I'm really interested in this and then when I moved and I went to see them and I was like I want to do this and then when they had the auditions the next time I applied and I got in and I got totally sucked into this world and that was 12 years ago and so were they doing like narrative storytelling yeah. yes type improv yeah and but they were doing a lot of different kind of like they did short, and, and, and we do uh, still do uh, in that theater company we do short form and we do long form but the main focus at that time and I think still is to some extent is like a fully improvised place yeah, yeah. those are super cool yes so, you know, we just did uh, Who Done It here which was like our murder mystery yes 
I think it, yes, and I, I found that so cool because last year when I was here, I was talking with Chris about like we we've done the murder mystery for a few years, and we talked a lot about it. He was like, he got really excited about that. He's like, yeah, because we're gonna do that yeah, too. Yeah, we did it. It was yeah, great. That's so cool. Yeah, I feel like it's awesome for. I feel like it was particularly great for our theater that is both like a dramatic theater and an improvised theater because normally it would be hard to. If it was just an improv show, you'd only get the improv audience. And if it was just a scripted murder mystery, you'd just get the the scripted audi- yes. audience, basically. So by like having it combined, we ended up having like way bigger shows than than we normally have for either. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super sweet. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like it's definitely for theaters that do both. It's a great, great idea. And so then, how did you start? like traveling internationally and teaching and doing workshops well there were there was a lot of we invited a lot of teachers to come and teach us in Finland uh, at the early stage of my improv career and we had people like Sean Kinley and Steve Durand and and a lot of different people coming up and I was like this is cool people are doing this all over the world and then the Finnish improv festival the international festival kicked off six years ago and that was the first time that I was on an international improv festival in Finland. And that kind of like opened up the whole world of, okay, I need to do a lot more of this because I need to see other things. And that's how I started to travel. And I started to first perform in a lot of different countries and did a lot of different festivals. But I was already teaching back home. And I was like, maybe I have something to provide to people abroad as well. Yeah. And then that's how it started. And now I'm doing it all the time <laughs> and so um, it, it's interesting because I don't I don't think like international festivals are as popular in America because they're just they're just more American festivals yeah. and stuff but I know that even like in Canada and with a lot of the Johnstonian like impro scene yeah the international festivals are like a big deal yeah yeah and they're huge now they're like there's new new festivals popping up like in europe like every year so there's so many to choose from at the moment yeah, yeah. i guess now we're, this is an international festival it right is. thanks to you <laughs> are you it the is. only uh... no there's another there's actually another uh another improviser from finland here as well and then there's uh one from austria and there's some from england so i should do a uh, set and finish yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we should maybe it'd be a, it might be a great example of how like if you do good object work and do good physicality yes maybe it'll reinforce the idea behind the gibberish yes and i actually feel and i i believe in the fact that uh, i'm a better improviser in english in many ways than i am in finnish because my english is obviously not perfect and it's not my native tongue so it forces me to react and to feel and to to do things in a different way than it would if i would just you know have a perfect finish you know i could say whatever so I feel like... Yeah, it's super it, interesting. Yeah, that was something I wanted to ask you about, how you do most of your improv in your, your second language yeah. in English. So has that? do you feel like that's helped you with like learning English too? Well, I've my, my English was fairly fluent when I started yeah, uh, doing improv in English, but it's, it is different for sure. And especially when I do a lot of improv with a lot of different people, and when I do a lot of improvised theater with native English speakers, sometimes it's like, wow, there's a, and I might say before a show, guys, I'm not a native English speaker, so there might be some words or some like, especially because in, in the United States, I feel like people do a lot of pop culture references, for example. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, 
I have no idea, but I'm just going along with it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's probably an important thing to think about that, that you probably get gets reinforced when you do international. Because mm-hmm. even now, I think people overuse it, not not in the sense of it being bad, but that even half the time, the English, the American, only only half of the people know the, get yeah. their references. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, have you ever done have you ever done improv with someone who you guys don't have any common language like someone who yeah we uh, some years ago we did a uh, on a festival we did a show with a guy who was from Japan and he was amazing and he I think that he had like 10 to 15 English words <laughs> all in all in his vocabulary and it was superb it was so fun it was super super amazing and so did you guys uh was it like in English, but he only knew the like? Yeah, just very limited. It was both in English and with like with some gibberish, and then with silent work as well. Yeah, that's cool. And last year we did a on a festival in Tallinn in Estonia. We did a show with with an improviser from the Reunion Island, uh, Keng Sam, who taught a workshop uh, about gibberish. And we did a we did a whole a show, an international show with like people from I think maybe eight different countries, only in gibberish. The whole show, like forty five minute show, and that was amazing. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Yeah. Um, do you feel like English not being a first language has affected um, like your non verbal communication and like and listening? Surely. Yeah, because you have to pay more attention yeah. to physical cues as yeah. opposed to. And also I have to pay more attention to what people are saying because I feel like still a lot of the time even though when we do improvised theatre and I feel like one of the most important things is to fully and truly listen to the other people and not only listen to in order to um, talk back but in instead listen to understand. Right. So that I feel like that's also one of the things that I, I listen really carefully when I when I do improvised theatre with a non-finished speaker. Yeah. Yeah, so more what are they trying to say yeah. as opposed to just the words. That just like words that are coming like, and I'm just like absorbing them, I'm just going with that. Um, so let's talk more about your teaching style. So you have, you have a master's degree in education? Yes. Um, is that knowing your career path now is that something you would do again oh definitely i feel like for me teaching all in all on education i feel like it's one of the the only ways to fully be able to make a change in the world and and i think that it's super important that we have the tools to give to the future generations to be able to communicate better and so I feel like that's something that I would like to do even though I would be doing anything at all but now when I'm an improv teacher obviously the the studies that I've had before and the experience that I've had teaching different things uh, have made me understand probably some of the ways that that improv can also be taught and I I don't even really know if that's the right way to to say it but to provide a platform where people feel the security and the safety to try out new things yeah yeah the thing that i love about improv i was listening to to a podcast the other day that was kind of liking it to like the closest to a state of like prayer or a state of meditation and like i feel like in my own life 
like in my day to day, I'm never really listening. Like you're always thinking about something else that yes. you should be doing. And even, and I'm super bad with names and that carries over to improv. But even when I'm like meeting people and they're like telling me their name, I'm not even like listening to their name. I'm thinking about like, what is the social, like what, you know, what is my next social response supposed to be? Yes. But when you're doing improv, you can't do that at all. You have to be so present and so listening and it's, I feel like it's like that only, the only time that I get where my brain like isn't racing and doing those other things simultaneously. Yeah. So I do feel like it is both like a meditative experience, but then also it gives you experience really listening to people and yes. not having your own like preconceived ideas of what's going on. So do you do, do you do um, corporate? Like yeah. stuff? Yeah. So how do you, um, if you were trying to do like a pitch to why improv is going to be helpful to this, this corporation or mm -hmm. whatever, how do you, how do you describe improv in, in a way that <clears throat> would, you know, help salesmen or something? Well, I think it depends on what, what I'm trying to sell so right, to speak whether it's, yeah, team yeah, building what it is about yeah but i th i feel like all in all i feel and what i usually say is that uh improvised theater and the toolkit that we we get from there can help people to be uh better communicators as i already said uh and to help them listen more carefully which i find is the key for so many things and it will help people to to um, accept things in a different way and maybe to see the world around them in a slightly different more understanding way right yeah just the yes and as opposed to yes but yeah makes a huge difference it does it really does and it does not mean that we would have to throw away everything else and obviously when it comes to businesses for example and they have a certain agenda and what they want to accomplish but when they add this kind of work and applied improvised um, uh, tools to what they do they kind of can create a common language and a common understanding of what they want to do and it will help them to build that goal together so do you have a specific teaching style? Wow. Um, that's an interesting question. Well, so for instance, like um, when, you're when your students are doing a scene, are you the type of uh, teacher who will, like, let, who will let them finish the scene and do it all on their own and then give notes? Or do you do like a lot of side, side coaching, coaching. And, mm. and stopping people and saying, do this instead? I really think that it depends on the people that I'm working with and it depends on what, what stage of their improv journey they're at. And I feel like it, it needs to be quite, it needs to be clear to me and it needs to be clear to them what we're trying to achieve. And sometimes if it's something specific and I can help them with uh, it during the scene work that we're doing, I might give up out like certain short, hopefully, very helpful um, cues to what to concentrate on, for example. Would that be, would that be with or without pausing the scene? Uh, hopefully, morally without pausing the scene. 
So just saying something like, be changed. Yeah, or, or like, like... How do you feel about that? Yes. Things like that. Yeah, more, more in terms of that. And then I feel, all in all, is like, we don't concentrate on, like, on... In my opinion, we don't concentrate on particular scenes. Like, this scene only is here for this one time. But what we can learn from it is to apply what we want to achieve in the future. So it has to be something general. It has to be something that can be transferred to something else instead of in this particular scene you should do this or that right. or if you give which notes lot, after that which is a lot of how like beginning teachers will give notes like yeah you should have they're all yeah, why anecdotal would you? instead <sighs> of that's not really helpful in my opinion right yeah. and then, then it also kind of creates rules that that don't and I feel like this is a very interesting topic all in all and I find it so funny in a way that we we tend to this is a uh, quite common in my opinion in the improv world is like we tend to teach or learn uh, improv in in a set of rules and we have like this and this and this and this and we should remember this and that and that and don't do this and don't ask questions and say yes and like all of that stuff right. don't be strangers and it's it's and i understand what that we need a common kind of ground and language in order to do things and it can be helpful sometimes but if we if we use the first few years to learn these different rules and then we try to get rid of them after that it's just like because then we want to be free and we want to okay we want to explore what all all the things that we can and then we kind of lead, try to unlearn everything that we've done so far so i feel like for me the most important things at the moment at the moment are like if i can give something to my students it's like remember to breathe that's i think that's the most important thing right i feel like yeah. that is still um one of the things that i struggle with so i used to get a note a lot that I would just kind of pace around and not not uh, stencil up. And then I just got that same note uh, in this, the level four class that I'm taking at Pig. And I'd like, and so I'd gotten that note you know, months ago and then I'd done the whole run of Who Done It. So like two shows a week in front of like over a hundred people. And like, and I think it was just because the character, I, I was playing like a senator. So it was like a very, you know, like stalwart kind of character. Yeah. So it wouldn't have made sense to, but then when I got the note to get in class, I was like, oh, despite like all of the things I've learned as far as like the rules of improv, mm-hmm. if you're like, yeah, if you're not breathing and you're like, yeah, it's like, how do you balance the nervous energy, which I think takes, takes a lot of stage time to mm-hmm. kind of just get used to. Yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think that I so kind of going back to why I think a lot of people coaches will like interrupt the students early on or why they have these rules is because they want they, they want like the beginning students to be able to do like have the most success doing scenes early on because if you don't kind of just it's much more encouraging if when you start doing it you, and so if you you know if you don't do scenes with people you don't know, don't do transaction mm-hmm. scenes, don't ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, that increases the probability of you having a successful, successful scene. scene. No, I kind of get that. And I, I absolutely, uh, and I am 100% um, on board with the fact that, that the job that I'm supposed to do is to, to, be, a, to be able to help the students to... Uh, succeed or or feel good about what they're doing but also which i find so very important in this is in this art form is to be able to fail 
because we, this is the thing we are we're living in a in a world which is full of rules and from the very early age we're set like to achieve things and to to do well in things and I, what i love about improvised theater is like the idea of the way we are and who we are is good and it's acceptable and and we can come out of situations that we did not compute perfectly so to speak in a way that it's actually fine right that's yeah that's hard because i feel like unlike any other art or anything like improv really is the celebration of the human experience that sounds so cliche nobody says because right and it's the only thing where literally anybody is good enough to do it yes because you're your own unique human being yes there's no like you are perfectly cast to play the person that you are playing on that stage because you are you and you're the only person who's going to react in, in, a way. That, in that same yes. way. Yes, yes. And that's why I feel like what were you just saying was like maybe my approach is a bit different from interrupting uh, all the time but it's more about like I, I try to uh, provide a safe environment where it is possible for you to uh, explore things and where it's possible for you to feel happy and good and, 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 and not happier or not good and all of that stuff and, and through that uh, being able to provide something uh, that will make people feel good. Right. Plus, I think there's also, um, I think there's a big difference between kind of the Johnstonian and the Del Close, two kind of schools of thought, um, which is one of the things that I like a lot about Johnstonian because there are a lot of, well, they both, they both place a lot of importance on certain skills that the other people neglect, like like, I love Johnstonian because of the emphasis that it kind of has on, like, the zen, the zen of improv, which I hated at first, like, <laughs> learning, like, I don't need the zen of improv, like, I'm already obsessed with improv, like, I already get agreement and positivity uh-huh. and stuff, but now, having studied at Pig, where there's, like, no emphasis on that, and it's just all, like, the three levels, it's, like, intro, then it's, like, game, character, yeah. herald. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and there's not a lot of... Um, the Zen of Improv is also like a very cliche uh, term, but I feel like it is true. The like the mindset of improv, and so I feel yeah, I I like your workshops because they focus on on these on almost on like other things that these like it's you know it's not like a reinf- it's not a reinforcing of the principles. It's like another aside important issue. So like the two that you're do that you do are or I'm sure you do more than two, but the, the one you're doing here is the ensemble, building an ensemble, which is something that you're not gonna like they're not gonna teach you in a level number, you know, like just you know, one of the levels. And then silence is golden, which object work gets covered, but that's not exactly no, it's more about the feelings uh, right. and the yeah silence is golden is one of my fa- like th- I'm not doing it, it on this festival but uh, I did that last year when yeah, I was here yeah yes I remember that was great uh, um, and and I mean like it was great that you were in there not like oh it was a great workshop <laughs> but what I mean is like and so this year I'm doing getting closer which is about romantic love and intimacy in improvised theatre uh, on the festival and I find that work really interesting as well. 
Um, but yes, I for me... Is that the same as the ensemble? No. So no. you're doing two? Yes. Oh, great. So I do the ensemble uh, workshop for two days with a group of people who have never met each other before. And then after that, they will come up with a, with a show. And then... They, they create their own form? We will create that together, yeah. And then there is another workshop that concentrates on, on intimacy in improv. Um, all right, so would you want, let's talk about the ensemble uh, building for a second. So what would you say the most... So I guess it's uh, two situations. One is a group of people who have never seen each other and are doing a show. And then the second one is a new team. So, so what do you think the most effective way to create that feeling of an ensemble is when you are literally like meeting each other an hour before the show and then you guys have to mm. do something together so yeah that's uh, that's a good question so there is there are difference obviously because if we have and on this festival we have time we have two days to not a lot of time but we have some time to get the sense sense sensation or i don't know the sense of uh, a group but then um i have done a lot of the kind of work that you just described like when okay we're the people who are going to do a show now oh so uh i feel like getting connected with each other like um i'm more of a the kind of uh improviser who likes to um do things like look each other in the eyes or breathe together or or tell each other something personal about yourself and ask questions from the others uh, and concentrate on things together instead of doing like a very high energy kind of like oh, oh, oh now we go yeah, like since passing yes something or... and it's and it's fine and it's like kind of like it, tomato and tomato and kind of like this but in a way if we want to do something together whatever it is it being a very um, high energy show like with short form blah blah blah, blah or it being a very kind of like still uh, slow bro kind of thing the most important thing is, in my opinion, is that we're connected to each other. Right, yeah. I feel like a lot of the... Most of the common exercises are to get your brain moving. So it's more individual focused yes. as opposed to... Yeah, focusing on, like, building group mind. Yeah. And then, so what about, what about like, a new team that's, that's formed and they know each other? Maybe they were in a class together. Mm-hmm. Um, what tips would you have as far as either things to do either yeah either like warm-ups to do at the beginning of practices or I don't know bonding yeah well I think one of the one of the one really good thing is to spend time with each other outside That's info right. as well yeah. yeah and i feel like when we get to know when we're forming a team that it's something like it depends on obviously if somebody has said like you 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 and you let's you do a team and now start doing that so that can be a bit different and i think that then the coach has a lot to do with how to do it as well but then if we have a team of people like a group of people who have come together for the reason of oh we would like to do something together we have this like ooh, we want to we want right. to try something out so i feel like obviously in both of these cases uh, but especially when we have like a group of people that want to do things together we need to get to learn each other and and learn like what do we what are these things that we like uh, to do and what are the things that we like about each other and how do we you know what is our goal for our like what do we want to do what do we want to do on stage and then go off from, go on from there so um, so what do you think about the idea that in most in a lot of theaters 
um, I guess more in like UCB and IO and stuff, the teams are, are formed by some mm-hmm. uh, higher higher up power, and so they're not they're not people that people are choosing yeah. to do improv with. Yeah. Do you think that if you were uh, if, if you were running a theater, would you do you think you would do it? In that same, and then and then the teams usually only last for a year, and then they're reformed, up and yeah. reassembled. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I'm I'm I am running a theater back home, which is great, and we but we've only started our training center this year, so we only don't we don't have that many uh, many students yet who have graduated. The, like we haven't gone through the whole program yet. But the thing is that I find like it depends. How would I say this? I think it's both good maybe when there is a when there is a teacher or a coach or whatever someone who has seen the way you develop and the kind of improviser you are maybe at some point it's wonderful to have them to choose like oh these people would fit lovely together and they would have a good ensemble and that i find it's probably a good experience for everyone to learn from surely but then i find it very kind of satisfying when you have the chance also to like oh we would really much like it because it gives it something different as well right yeah that's a good point there are strong yeah benefits yeah but then approaches. but i do must say that i something that i'm really what i feel strongly about is like improvised theater should be uh, a place uh, or a society or a, or a community where everyone is welcome because that's the that's the the idea of improvised Impro, all in all, I feel right. like the acceptance and, and and the group, the feeling of group. So I feel like, in a way, what we should be doing or what we should be avoiding is like this. Oh, I only want to do things with you or or with you, but not with you. So that's also something that I think should be kept in mind when doing improvised theater. Right, right. If everyone was just picking who yeah. they get to play with, yeah. then you lose that. Yes, and you also lose a lot of. Uh, opportunities to to learn because then you will only do things with certain people instead of being able to learn a lot more from these um, possibilities when you are working with a lot of different people and so how important do you think um, having a coach is if you're a team is that that something that you would say you should any team should definitely have a coach no no, I think it's it gives it. I I think that any team, if it's possible, would have someone who, not like a permanent coach really, but maybe someone who knows them or knows improvised theatre and who could come and see their rehearsal sometime or come and see their show and give them an outside eye in a way. But excuse me, but I I don't think that it's even possible. Like. The sit like the situation in different countries is very different. Also, like United States have have, even though they have even di- very different uh, schools of improv and all that stuff, but they they still have a different setup for a lot of things than European countries, and we don't have the. It's not the same kind of an idea with the with the with constant coaches. So I don't feel like it's necessary, but I, I think that it will add to it. And sometimes it can be when I've been in the same theater company, for example, for twelve years, where we have. We have a rotating artistic director, but we're most of the time we're all performing. So it's like it is a very good idea to have someone sit out of it. Yeah, sometimes. Get an yes, yes. Uh, so going back to what you were saying about um, 
how a, a coach or an artistic director can can pick people with um, complementary skills. Um, do you have like a specific? So there's like, do you know the uh, what is it? Robot pirate ninja philosophy, like. I think it's Billy Merrick's idea, which is like, those are the there's three types of improvisers. Um, you know, like planners, spontaneous mm-hmm. people, and then, uh, so that'd be robots, pirates, and then people who just like come up with great, clever, yeah. clever moves that were needed to I, yeah, bring, yeah. like, the th- I think the idea is like, those are kind of the three types. Mm-hmm. You need one of all of them. You can kind of be a blend, but you need like one of do you subscribe to, uh, or, or what is, or if you were putting together a uh-huh. team, what would be the ideal types that you would blend? It depends. Uh, it depends. I th- I find that it's very interesting to see uh, different kind of improvisers together. Surely, different kind of people together. But also, I think that it's a fun thing to play with something like how will we if we form a team with improvisers who are very similar to each other that can also be very cool or very funny or very horrible I don't know right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but we need to I think that we need to play with the idea of like we, we can do whatever we can try out anything at all that's the beauty of this art form uh, but if I uh, I was actually I did an interview uh, with Fenya uh, or Telly that, uh, the other week for for his improv magazine and he was asking me to pick five improvisers from the world and who I would like to direct and do a show with and so it depends on what what the aim is and at that point when he asked me about this was I picked people who who I feel that all of these five people had uh, the kind of sensitivity in them that I would like to work with like see how they even though they're different from each other so it de- always depends on like what, what what we're trying to achieve what do we want to do who were your uh, five <laughs> uh, okay uh, so in this category they were uh, Jose Gonzalez from Phoenix uh, uh, Christopher Simpson from the CTC here oh, from town wow, yeah <laughs> it is it is actually and then then Rama Nicholas from Australia and then there was uh, Marie Pierre Thomas from Belgium and Linda Gustafsson from Sweden. Wow, Christopher Simpson's here. <laughs> I know. Oh, no, you, you, uh, yeah, you mentioned Jose Gonzalez from Phoenix. Yeah. Because I was gonna say he's the only American. American. They were two. He's their favorite. <laughs> but no, no. Now let me refer. Like, like let me underline this. It was not about my favorite five. Yeah, yeah. It was just in that category of what kind of work I would wanted to do with these five people. So yeah. <laughs> So, what suggestion would you give to a team just starting out? So that was uh, to spend spend time yeah. outside of the classroom. Yeah. Um, right, so we kind of talked a little about silence is golden. Um, what are like the what are the key important things that you try to focus on in that when teaching that topic? In in the silent work. Uh, well, obviously there are. It's a huge world. Like silence, silence. Uh, all in all, it's a huge, huge part of. And you can be, you can approach it in so many different ways. But I think that what I'm trying to apply is like, your mouth is very small, and and your body is very big. And I think that uh, that came, uh, literally. I think that. Um, an Italian improviser, Mico Pugliares, has said that sometime to me. Like your your your. Your body is bigger than your mouth. Maybe that's the way he rephrased it uh, some years ago. And I was like, it's so true. It's like, 
we just use our mouth so much we just use our words so much and there's so much more in us so i feel like in the work that i'm doing is it's a lot about listening to everything else listening to your your scene partner with your eyes and with the with the feelings that you have and with the the uh, emotions uh, and with the with touching and with all of that stuff so it's more about finding what's really there instead of just just blabbing out words that right yeah listening is such a i don't want to say misleading term but like the traditional definition of it is so auditory yes but yeah yeah but when we talk about it in improv so even yeah even like when you're first told it as a student like listen listen mm -hmm. listen it's so, yeah it's so easy to just think of it as 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 your ears yes yeah when yeah i feel like a lot of the time when you start a scene a lot of the time the initiation is isn't the first line it's whatever you know the first strong object work that happens is usually if i walk out and i'm smoking a cigarette in a scene like that's an that's the initiation that is initiative right it's not the it's not the first line it's like well this person hasn't said anything so therefore i We'll just do, do the, idea, the idea that I had yes. when I walked out here. Yep, yep. I hear you. So do you do anything like that uh, in the workshop where you, like, make them, you know, stuff like you can't talk for the first 60 seconds of mm -hmm. a scene and stuff like that? Yep. How long do you make them uh, uh, we, silent for? We do a lot of scenes where we don't say anything. Anything at all? Yeah. So we can do a scene. We can do a scene where we're like, super engaging and it's super interesting because we're really connecting with each other and we're really listening to what is happening and I find that's that that kind of work so inspiring and in addition to that it also gives the audience which is my favorite one of my favorite subjects uh, or themes to talk about it gives the audience the possibility to become active storytellers and to become like they're not only being forced to understand the situation in one way when we like when we kind of like we say okay you are my father and i came here today because it is your birthday and i wanted to give you this cake and you know, things like this but instead if we do more silent work and if we kind of like let the the situation that is happening affect us it will give the audience members the possibility to oh this is what is happening and it's true for them like for each an individual audience member, they will give their, they have their own story now, instead of this only one story that is being fed to them. So that's what I like about silent work as well. Oh, that's super interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right, I wanted to talk to you about one of my uh, favorite improv crushes, Susan Messing. All right. So I know last year you went out to IO in Chicago, right? And did the summer intensive? Yes. And you, uh, and you took it, took it with her? <laughs> Actually, I uh, in in Chicago, I got to... I met her and I talked with her. We had some friends from before and I saw one of her shows. But she was not uh, teaching at at my... with my class. Uh, but then after after the summer, I went back to Europe and I went to oh, yeah, yeah. to Sweden for a festival and I did uh, her... Her and Rachel Mason's uh, workshop, uh, uh, like a masterclass for two or three days. And that's when I got to work with her as well. Awesome. Yeah, I took their, I did a, yeah, took like their duo uh -huh. workshop that they did. Was, did, um, 
was Susan doing the, what's it called, like, Protecting the Weirdo? Yes. That one? Yes. Yeah, that was such a, such a fun workshop. <laughs> it is such, like, a different... I think that's so cool because it's, it's 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 almost like the hybrid of two of two scene types, which is like like you have your straight absurd scenes, mm-hmm. right, where it's your straight character and your absurd character, and then you have your like peas in a pod character scenes where it's kind of like two absurd people getting off on how like crazy they are together. Yes. Whereas like her her idea is kind of like this perfect hybrid between them, where there's a person who's being crazy. And you're not being you're not being crazy with them, but you still like think that they're great. Yes. And their craziness their craziness isn't making you upset like it is in a straight man scene. Yes. But it's but it's not the stereotypical peas in a pod scene of like like, like Key and Peele like yeah Game of Thrones yeah. like riding on the dragon yeah. Khaleesi. <laughs> like uh, have you seen that sketch? No. It's just like they're they're two uh, they're two like bellboys outside of a hotel and they're just like every time it's like they've just seen watch Game of Thrones the night before so they're just like doing those dragons like, and they're just like both just like I like this I need to see that sketch. It's, a, yeah. it's like the great best example of, of that type of scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I must say, like, I, I really, I really admire Susan Messing uh, and uh, and the kind of the the ideology that she has, all in all, uh, and and I love, like, that's something that I like when you were describing what was happening. That's something that I feel quite strongly about. All in all, in improvised theatre, is like we tend to go for like if we if, if there is a so-called crazy person on stage. And then we, we, that's what we do. We say, we say, you're crazy or take your medicine or you're drunk or whatever. And that's kind of like taking the rug under that person uh, in when it comes to like accepting the world that we live in. And it's right. sometimes it, it can be valid. But a lot of the time, why don't we just, why don't we just react to that in a way that that's the normality? That's the, that, that's the world that we live in. It becomes so much more interesting. Right, yeah, where like the UCB style is like the whole the whole training is 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 to wait for that first unusual thing, and then whatever that unusual it. thing is, call it out as being unusual, yeah. and then heighten it to make it crazier. Yeah, yeah, and I do. Um, so I took another like a positivity workshop, not Chris's, but uh, another one at Pig recently. Said so we're kind of trying to do that in uh, my team's practice, and like our coach kept giving us the note of like, you didn't react to that crazy thing that that person did. Um, it, it, yeah, it is. It is tough because like it's the whole game, like you know the game, yeah, the game method of doing improv is based on finding an unusual thing and then heightening that and making it more unusual versus. Because yeah, the Susan thing, it's like it's like relishing in the unusual. It's not like denying that it's unusual. It's like this is a this is a uh, not a great example, but I was doing this scene, so they came out and the initiation was. Uh, can you believe it? I got all all F minuses on my report card. I was like, well, that's like that's not really a strong enough move for us to do like a game off of. Like that's not really like that unusual. So instead of so instead it was just like. Dude, that's awesome! Like no one's ever gotten F minus before. Like you got the lowest grade in mm-hmm. history. Like, yeah. So I feel like it's instead of being like, 
you're such an idiot. Yeah. Why did you, mm-hmm. like, why did you study? Sometimes it's much funner to be like, this is something you can tell your kids about. Yes. Like, you got straight F minuses. No one's ever gotten straight Definitely. F minuses before. Definitely. And I feel like all in all, what, what I love about this art form is like, even though I have my priorities and I have like, this is the kind of improvised theater that I love, or this is the kind of style that I really want to do or teach or whatever. What I find is, is amazing is like how varied it is really and we should we should celebrate that and it doesn't mean that if we if we do an UCB kind of like if we if we want to play the game and we want to find the game let's do it let's that's great but there are so many other things to do as well so we can do a lot of different things and what I want to do with improvised theater is I think I think that we still have it in a box and we look into this box and see like <gasps> That is improvised theater. But what if you just open the box and let it, like, you know, flow out of the box to, like, everywhere? Because scripted theater is, there's so many things that you can do within that. Right. And yeah. so improvised theater should be that as well. And we should, I, I feel like we can't, of course we can't say, this is the right way to do it, or this is my favorite way to do it. But there's so many things to do. So let's celebrate that. Right. It's very, <laughs> I feel like it's very, like, sectarian might actually be the right word in improv words, like, Long form people don't think short form is legitimate, and like Del Close people don't like don't think that Johnstonians are like doing it right, and Johnstonians don't think that the UCP people are doing it right, and and like and then even even the way that that UCB and I and stuff will talk about like long form where it's like they they'll call a twenty five minute herald no like oh that's long form. But yet, something like a full-length narrative, like yes. narrative play, like that, still doesn't even fall into their Venn diagram of mm-hmm. what is long, long form. form. Yeah. Even though you just went up and did a two-hour like show, a two-hour, two, yeah. two-act yeah. play. Yep. But it's like, but then, but then when they do mono scenes, then they could, they could still get to call it. <laughs> it's very, it's very just like sectarian is, I guess, the good word. In the, I feel like, it, yeah, it is such a new new art form yeah the modern form is fairly new yeah and so I wonder if I feel like there is I'd like to see somewhere where there's kind of a unified or even like a like I'd love to see a school that had that had classes that were like this level Johnstonian mm-hmm. narrative this McNapier style yeah. this use like this class mm-hmm. UCB this one is Miles Stroth and position play and like and rather than having it being like, oh, here are all the levels on this, you know, we, on this we one. do UCB, mm-hmm. so here are like all yeah. the levels teaching you how to do mm-hmm. game, or we do Johnstonian, so here are all like narrative and maestro and theater sports. Yeah. Come to Europe. We got that. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean is like, well, but it's also because of the, we have a, we have such a long uh, tradition in the, in, in theater all in all and, and in, in Europe. And I think that that highly kind of affects uh, the way that improvised theater is being done but it's also it's a mixture of so many different things and in different countries they have so many different kind of styles as well but I feel like but I feel like since we've gotten the possibility to see different things we've got Johnstonian way we got the UCB we got the, like people come over and teach different kind of things and that kind of forms some sort of a hybrid of things as well but that's not basically what you were saying like if you would have in the same school like this is that and now you can do like what, what you were describing yeah. but like what I really love about a lot of the European way or, or about the way in Finland for example where I'm based at is like we we mix things up a lot 
and so we have so many different things to do yeah it, like it reminds me kind of the way i think about it as like when you're taught like psychology in like high school or in freshman year of college and they're like this is what behavioral psychologists this is cognitive psychology yeah. and then like you step back and you're like but clearly all of those things are are half right like why <laughs> how how can this genius whoever you know like uh pavlov or something be like no it's definitely cognitive i'm not even sure if i'm getting the but you know the yeah behavior yeah but anyway yeah it's true but it's like yeah how to and it almost seems like that's like these people those people in psychology are are you know fathers of psychology but they believe had these very rigid beliefs and it's almost like that now where you have like matt besser and ian roberts or like ucb and they're like very ian roberts is so rigid about his like belief about rules in the ucb and game and even and to the extent where he thinks that people who don't believe him just don't understand and that they're still like no they're still following my rules they just call it different things versus you know for, yeah versus like each where then you'd have like keith johnstone and then when i studied at the university and i studied in a i studied education i studied uh in a very a small group that was very kind of pioneering and it had a lot of like integration inclusion kind of idea of it and I talked with the professors that we we were that taught us a lot and what we what we kind of agreed on was that the students should always get further than their teachers in a way like the the idea in the world is like we take what we're given and we appreciate it and that's a wonderful thing but then we can also kind of develop it further and i feel like when it comes to improvised theater it's lovely that there are different i don't know fathers and mothers of improv so to speak but i feel like our job is to take what we get from them and then develop it further like have more variety and have more depth and have more possibilities right and and obviously I love Del Close, but there's such this reverence of Del Close and always using his quotes to do things. And then there's, have you seen um, Don't Think Twice? Yes. That, like, there's like two or three Del Close quotes, like every time that uh, that Gillian Anderson is talking. It's always like, Del Close once said. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Del Close deserves all the props that he gets, but. But Del Close never even, there's so much stuff that Del Close didn't even get to experience. Like, he never got to see two-person improv, like TJ and Dave, and like Susan Messing and Rachel Mason, and all these great, you know, they never got to, he never got to see mono scenes, like, also like TJ and Dave, and uh, like, he'd probably be so blown away by, by all that. But so then, like, the idea that that that's still going to be the most informed or most brilliant opinion when when so much has happened since then that has changed the way that we do it like why wouldn't you think that well that, i don't know i don't know it's valid I'm, and i'm not saying like i'm not opposed to uh everything that has been established already right yeah but it's just that these are only a few people and there's so many other improvisers in the world and there's so many other people in the world who have amazing Right, yeah, like these people ideas built, well. built the foundation 
And then everyone is just standing around being like, this is a beautiful foundation, as opposed to being like, let's explore we, more. We need to build, let's build another, let's build the first floor. Why on top not? Of this. Let's build another floor on top Why of not? this. Why not? Let's do the attic. Let's build a penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Build a bar. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. All right, so, uh, being attacked by a bug. Okay. Yes. We've had pretty good luck with the noise. This is lovely. Hopefully some of the birds get picked up. Yeah. There's Christopher Simpson walking by right now. On there the he is. Let's not tell him that you... Does he know that you... No. Uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> the interview just got out today in English. So it, it was, it's originally, originally in Spanish, and that was published last week, I think. And it's just out today now on social media. So I think I need to tell him. He's probably going inside to Google his Hopefully, hopefully. Right <laughs> He'll probably find yeah. It. Oh, great. All right. So, um... So, final question: Do you have any, do you have any improv pet peeves, or like things that you just see players do all the time that you're kind of that you're that you think are overdone? Talking. Talking. <laughs> just you know, words are just words. Uh, if we react to them, then it becomes meaningful. Um, sorry, audience. I was just moaning. Asking Chris to take a picture of us. Hello, Christopher Simpson. Hello, Clayton Michaud. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How's the fest going? Oh, man. I mean, ask Kaiza. It's sweet. We it's super sweet. We have wonderful people here. We have great improvisers and great human beings, so it's really fun. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to what the next five days hold. It's going to be awesome. got a photo of you, too. Is that what you're looking for? Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, improv pet peeves talking. <laughs> well, I don't say that. I'm not definitely not saying that we should not talk at all, but we should have meaning to what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying you should be, we should be more deliberate with should, our language. We should be more affected, all in all. We should be affected by what is happening. So with your Silence is Golden workshop, it's really a lot more, like it's, it's more... It's more from the receiving end than from the giving end. Like you're saying, like be be quiet and don't say as much, which allows the other person to listen more to what your body is saying and what your intentions are saying. So is it more like using the other person's silence? Is that? A... I think it's. I think it's both. It's like if we're both in the receiving end, we're both in the giving end as well. I feel in that kind of sense. It's like the full two-way street. Yeah, it is. And we have when we have intention, and when we have when we have meaning, and when we uh, have acceptance, and when we are truly listening to everything, we get to do wonderful things. Aside from whatever genre or whatever format or whatever school we're in. All right, great. Well, that sounds like a good place to end. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Improv Town. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're in the Rhode Island area, don't forget to check out all the great local improv. Pig, the Providence Improv Guild, has shows every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8. The Contemporary Theater down in Wakefield is currently doing Maestro Improv at 9.30 on Fridays and Theater Sports at 9.30 on Saturdays. The Bit Players do Shore Form down in Newport every Friday and Saturday night at the Firehouse Theater, and that's BYOB, so that's always fun. 
You can also check out Improv Jones, Rhode Island's longest-running improv show, on the first Saturday of every month. That's down at the uh, AS220 Black Box in Providence. Last but not least, there's a new improv theater in town, Wage House, which has shows every Friday night at 8 in Pawtucket. And many of these theaters also offer great improv classes, so don't forget to check those out as well. I'm sure Google can help you find everything you need. See you next time.